welcome back to the 1099. I want to thank all of you for hanging in there while we went on a brief hiatus. Of course, we had a couple of bad weeks where the world just started to spin out of control. Uh, I guess a couple of guests started to drop like flies, and then that whole 2020 thing happened where the world was suddenly plagued with a violent illness. Uh, but enough about our current leadership. Am I right? Ha ha ha. In any case, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your quarantine for the 1099. And as always, I am just glad you're still here with us. Things aren't always easy, but I am glad to give you folks something positive to focus on in the meantime. And I cannot imagine a more entertaining guest than the man I have on today, Mr. Brock Wilbur. You know him as the new editor-in-chief of the Kansas City-based outlet The Pitch, a producer for Crooked Media, which took me by surprise, a writer at Riot Games, which took me by even more surprise, and now a co-author of Boss Fight Books' latest tome, Postal, based on the infamous video game series of the same name. Jesus Christ, Brock, leave some clout for the rest of us. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I, I assure you that uh, there's plenty of room left for clout for other people. Uh, <laughs> mine is very specific and minimal. Uh, also, uh, I know that you're wanting to have a, a positive episode. And you were like, I can't think of a better guest. And I was like, ah, don't know about that. Uh, our subject matter and uh, our headspace today might be, uh, you know what? We'll try not to go bleak. I'll tr we uh, will we'll collectively try not to black pill your audience. <laughs> <laughs> we, as long as we're not like red pill, blue pilling, whatever it's called, uh, I'm glad to, to court anything else other than those certain types of pills. I'm fine with any uh, pills except for, you know, the regulars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, but you know, man, don't don't sell yourself short. Uh, I, I actually took some time out to uh, not just read the book, of course, but I also listened to a little bit of your stand up. One of the, the stories about working as like a site uh site scout for like the ghost hunters show uh, <laughs> and i just i was like holy crap i've i've got to absolutely have brock on the show to talk about this book what a perfect opportunity we followed each other on twitter for a while but you know it's one of those things where like you're just an ethereal ghost to me uh I, i'm now site scouting you because because <laughs> uh, i i don't know who brock wilbur is but uh, there's, there's always a beautiful moment in... when somebody transcends that the ethereal twitter thing and I, my, my favorite of all time is when, like, you meet the person, like, in real life or over a call, and you're like, oh, you fucking are, are exactly what you present. Like, your, 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 your tone of voice, your sense of humor. Like, it's one thing to have somebody that has, like, a, a, a wildly outrageous account, and then you meet them in person, and, like, they speak in one-word sentences, and they don't make eye contact. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I hope that I'm just – I hope I'm presenting what I am. That's, that's the best I can hope for. <laughs> There's, there's the other side of that, too, of like, especially as a host or whatever, you never want to uh, put upon someone else like your own ideas about who they are. Right? Sure. You want to you allow someone to to be who they are truly. Uh, but yeah, there is there is a special kind of moment where you're like, yes, this is exactly the person I thought they would be uh, or with, you know, with positive surprises, maybe lying in wait and uh definitely have had my own fair share of moments where it's like oh hey this is this is a don't meet your heroes kind of moment but uh, <laughs> i don't think i'll be saying that about mr brock wilbur today but before we dive into postal the book who is brock wilbur uh a slightly more in-depth than that uh, bullet point list i just ran down oh uh i've been uh oof. born and raised in a small town in kansas i went to college in chicago and then i spent uh more than 10 years in los angeles uh, working in, in mostly TV and film, uh, and uh, at some point I was, I was making indie movies, uh, especially writing scripts for them, and the things that I was writing I wouldn't see finished as a product and on the screen for somewhere between like three to eight years, and there was something that happened when I was watching, like, you, if you keep doing work in a field, especially creative work, uh, already you're probably the sort of person that gets done with something and you're like, this is fucking garbage. Like I should just, I should throw it away or I should redo it from scratch. And there is a certain hell uh, in watching the writer that you used to be eight years ago and what they produced and having your name on it <laughs> and being like, well, wouldn't have made uh wouldn't have written a word of that today. And that was when I got into uh, stand up comedy. Cause I was like, if I have an idea right now or a feeling I can go out tonight and put it in front of people and see if it works or not. And if it doesn't, 
no one wastes eight fucking years on it. Uh, And uh, (laughs) that actually led me to doing a a lot of cross-country touring, uh, which I think made my writing a lot better because uh, it's very easy to to sit in in a Hollywood uh, like meeting room and be like, this is what I think people think is funny, and then be uh, somewhere uh, in the middle of Iowa and realize no one thinks that's funny. I just uh, you you were way off on what all that is. Uh, so uh, I, I got into a lot of journalism. Uh, I've I've been writing my entire life. I got to break the story of the Nexium sex cult uh, sort of before that thing. I'll hit, which uh, I no need to bring it up on the video game podcast, but feel free to go <laughs> Google that and uh, explore the wild, wacky couple of years I had around that and, you know, being followed by PIs and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, anyway, uh, my wife and I got married. We both have jobs that we can do from anywhere. So we were like, what if we left uh, Los Angeles and moved to Kansas City? Uh, because uh, we also wanted to, uh, it was right after the election, and we were like, you know what, calling our senators in California uh, isn't isn't changing shit like if we're like hey this is how we want you to vote they were already gonna be like yeah that's what how we were gonna vote but out here we live literally on the state line between kansas and missouri and there is a lot of on the ground stuff that we get to participate in where we come home at night it's like i think we helped not not every day some days you meet a lot of people that uh you you haven't changed any hearts or minds uh but uh still uh it seems important work to do so uh I now run the city's uh, alt uh, magazine, uh, covering a bunch of local things and covering national stuff and certainly covering politics and doing really cool, interesting interviews. Um, but of course, we are in the midst of Corona. And uh, one of those problems is, uh, hey, who's going out in the world to pick up uh, physical copies of this magazine right now? Is that even a good mm-hmm. idea for us to be doing? Uh, so <laughs> uh, we... Uh, we, like many other people in many other fields, are all stuck at home right now and wondering if we have fucking jobs in a week. So I'm just doing my best to report to the public every, I'd say every five or six minutes, I get a new press release from somebody that's like, this thing is shut down now, or this is a new way to file for unemployment or something. I was like, these are all services that people need. And uh, so if I go for more than like 30 minutes or so without checking my phone, I have a little panic attack that I'm letting somebody down. So I'd like to get get out of this feeling as soon as possible. So talking about uh, a video game, boy, that sounds fun. <laughs> exactly. And don't don't discount yourself on the uh, the Nixium cult. This is a podcast. Podcasts are made for true crime stories. I'll, I'll hire someone from NPR to play like a really sad violin and, uh, <laughs> a, a, you know, a spoon grate or something like that. But uh, yeah, Postal. Let's dive in. Um, I, it's funny, as a, I'm 27 years old, and to me, Postal has almost always been uh, the, the poster child for like first-person shooter violence. Uh, and it, it struck me like, oh, I've, I've been thinking about Postal 2 this entire time. But really, I think that's the, story, the case of, of everyone, course, including us, when we signed up for the book. Uh, sort yeah. of like, <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot to talk about in Postal 2. And it's like, no, no, but Postal 1, that's the... That's the typhoid Mary of all of it. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. I guess I guess you really need to dive into that more importantly. So you uh, you split up this book with fellow co-author Nathan Rubin. Um, and, Rabin. And, uh, Rabin, oh, excuse me. Uh, and it, there, there are a few points in the book where you can tell, like, it, it's you or Nathan writing. And I, 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 so correct me if I'm wrong at any point when I'm asking these questions, but... Uh, so your first experience with Postal was basically being the Bart Simpson to some other kids, Todd Flanders, and just attempting to corrupt the hell out of him and like scaring like you know the piss out of him almost literally. He hides in the bathroom because he's so scared to watch <laughs> Postal One being played on your little computer. Uh, what what stuck with you? What felt so good about that experience that it had to be like basically uh, the the first introduction to the world of Postal in that book? Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, uh, and and one of the things that, especially in the Midwest, we had that uh, I feel like not a, not a lot of other places had was the ability for, like, video rental stores to just put CD-ROMs on the shelves, which was definitely fucking illegal. There's no way that, that was supposed to oh, yeah. <laughs> go down that way, uh, which also meant that, like, in, unlike renting, like, an NES game or something, you couldn't just, like, stick it in your NES device you had to go through the whole process of installing this and setting up the sound drivers and stuff so even getting to the game was sort of uh this thing and when we started with this um 
it is it is worth noting that this book is different than the other books in the boss fight book series because uh, almost all of the other ones to this point, which I I love, I love so many of them, uh, are these. And and if you don't know, if you're a listener, uh, each each book is about a different video game written by a different author, and there are no real rules on the style. So some of them are very very dry. They're like, here's how production went, and here's what happened, and so on and so forth. Uh, others are more of like an oral history, and some are just entirely personal. It's just like, well, here's how uh, World of Warcraft and my addiction to it helped me bond with my new father-in-law, and like what it meant to our relationship, and like. So many of them are so meaningful and, and interesting and personal. Uh, and uh, both Nathan and I had pitched different books. And Nathan has always been like my writing hero, who I just recently made friends with uh, close enough over about a year or so uh, via like comedy touring and talking online about uh, various mental health things that he, he actually showed up to be uh, the best man at my wedding, uh, where he... Uh, uh, he read from his book, which is a book, uh, You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me, which is about his year and a half touring with the two most disliked music groups in the world uh, in terms of fandoms, uh, Fish and the Insane Clown Posse. Uh, and, and it was just like, it's one of my favorite books of all time. And he like read from the book, but also like wrote an additional sort of chapter about like how that plays into me and my wife meeting. I was just like, fuck, this is heartbreaking. Just sobbing at my wedding. Anyway, we both pitched different books to boss fight books. Uh, and, uh, Gabe, uh, who's the editor and who runs it and who is just the sweetest guy in the world was like, what if instead the two of you took on the same book and sort of split it up? We haven't really done that before. And we were like, well, what would you like to do? And, uh, we, we, we brainstormed, and we came up with Postal. So unlike everyone else in the series, I didn't get to pick my favorite game of all time. I wound up with something that I'd played once in like 1996 as like a prank on a Christian kid that I that I that was homeschooled and that I didn't like very much, uh, and hadn't thought of it really since. Uh, and uh, and so my part of the book is to talk about the game and sort of uh, what it means. Uh, to the history of video games and the future of video games. And Nathan has a large section of the book, which is about the UV Bowl adaptation of the video game into a movie and how that's equally, like, fucked. Uh, and so um, there, was, there was even some upsetness, even amongst friends of mine, when we announced that there was going to be a book in the Boss Fight mm -hmm. book series about this, because they were like, you know, these guys were like... They have, they have an entire set of DLC for Postal 2 that's just based around Gamergate and has, like, Milo in it. Uh, they are, in general, n not great uh, dudes. Uh, and, and they're like, why would you be, uh, why would you write about this? And we had to sort of come out and say, like, well, uh, art criticism means that sometimes you have to criticize bad art. You can't just always write about everything that you love. And there's probably more important things to take away uh, from examining the darkness and also, like, the odd success of things that seem so bizarre and putting them within, like, a, a historical, like, structure. Uh, so, yeah, and on, on top of it, I got to mention to, to friends that were concerned. I was like, do you think that anyone that reads this book is going to go out and buy another copy of Postal in the year of our Lord 2020? Like, it's just, uh, that's not on the table and that's not what I'm going to write here, uh, which I... I, you've read the book. I hope that that is what is accomplished. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not exactly uh, running to go and get some hot Postal 2 DLC. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, God help me if I ever play something like Postal 3, I'm sure. But, you know, it, it, it's funny considering your background with, like, investigating the, the how is it pronounced, the Nixum cult? Um, Nexium. The Nexium cult. Uh, it, it's funny to think that rather than yeah one of these uh, these books where uh, the the author is exploring something that they are intimately familiar with or have truly grown up with, you're taking on more of a straightforward like investigator kind of journalist role where it's like I don't know about this this cult or this culture or this subculture. Uh, I'm I you're learning things along with me. It feels like sometimes, uh, especially. Oh, when good. You, I'm uh, glad that came across that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so you had the probably the the crux of it all rests on this 
sort of wild road, like small road trip you take uh, to the house of uh, Postal co-creator Vince Desi and uh, and his younger uh, cohort, uh, where you basically s- sit down in like w- what seems like a shitty like folding chair. Uh, while they while they like <laughs> lay on the couch or something, and it's like eight eight p.m. at night, like going on to the the middle of the night, and uh, just really beginning to die. They seem eager to talk to you, even though they know that like they'll probably just come across you know the same way they've always come across to uh, people in a in a progressive media. Uh, but tell me, mm-hmm. tell me what 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 really made you want to do something crazy like that to go out uh, across state lines uh on one random night and with like basically what seems like just your phone and your luck uh and (laughs) and interview vince desi and what that experience was like because i I think that does all ultimately connect to what it seems like kind of the final lesson of the book was by the end so there was there was an opportunity here and and one of the things that will that that comes up around this is uh and uh, i mean you you hit it on the head there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of positive coverage of the running with scissors team or the postal products that they've put out over the years. In fact, they, they re-released uh, postal uh, under the trademark title, uh, the worst game ever made based on somebody's review. Like they lean in to what they are and they are uh, two guys uh, that uh, have had greater and lesser successes in the industry um, who have a very, south park view on the world that mm-hmm. is is it has a level of, of of being caustic that you're like eh, and there's some and every couple of sentences there's something that you're like if we were at a bar right now or you were one of my friends i would say like shut the fuck up like that's that sucks but in in the interview situation it was like you know the game that i'm working with here is from more than 20 years ago I I want to understand your thought process at the time, and I had access to them because they weren't doing anything else, um, mm. and so sat there with like a, a bottle of whiskey and just spent the whole night sort of uh, Q and Aing with them about stuff and and recorded everything, and and they were they know how these th- sort of things go in such a way that at the start of it Vince's only rule for me was like you can say whatever you want about me and you can quote whatever I say tonight. Just make sure you quote it accurately. It's the only thing that bothers me, and is when somebody does that wrong. And I was like, I can. I was like, these are terms I can agree to because I've yeah. I hear how you're talking and the things that you're saying, and I absolutely need to put them in the book to just to define what you are. But like, so long as so long as we have an understanding here, and that uh, the the uh, the baseline is uh, just be a good journalist about it. That's pretty okay. And so over the course of the night, I I got to. Uh, be pushy in a way that sometimes, especially later in the night, I wouldn't normally be with subjects unless there were a few drinks in me and be like, right. But like this thing, don't you like in looking back, think that that sucks or, or something, especially when we got into discussions about Gamergate and how they like leaned in heavily. They were like, you know, we had, we've had a number of, of reviews over the year that like gave us terrible scores. And we'd talk to the reviewer later and find out things like either, they never played the game or they actually turned in a review with a much higher score and their editor changed it. And so when they first heard the the siren song of like, this is about ethics and game journalism, they clung to that real hard. And then they found other people within that community that they were like, oh, like Milo, like this is somebody that seems to be on our same wave- wavelength with like culture war stuff uh, and, and we'll, we'll sort of lean in hard to that. And then they were sort of like, but by the time our game had come out, we were starting to realize uh, what a goddamn toxic world that was and how it had seemed to move from what we knew it to be into just this world of like attacking women and so on and so forth. And and I don't I don't totally buy that narrative. I buy there. I, I buy the version of Vince Desi, this pretty old guy not understanding uh how un- how to read reddit i i can i think i can get that uh <laughs> but like the the idea of not seeing the toxicity of it in there and thinking it was all very funny i'm like okay that's like an explanation but like it doesn't fully work but here's here's what it is but um at the end of it like what you come away with is 
I, I think, a, a pretty interesting perspective on who makes a game like this and why. And one of my absolute favorite moments in the night, uh, which is in the book, is that Vince Desi was actually one of the first people to really uh, start making video games. And his first real job uh, running licensed games was to make uh, just a shit ton of, like, Sesame Street educational games from back in the day. Mm -hmm. So he has awards from, like, Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan for his contributions to children's education. And you're like, when he pulled those out to show them to me, I, I just like couldn't stop laughing. I was like, in what fucking timeline are we in? And that was also the point that he was like, you know what? I can't make a, a cookie monster typing game anymore. I'm going to go over here and just make a game where you fucking murder people. And I was like, it, you know what? Of everything that I've tried to understand tonight, that I I believe that I get that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> it, it almost brings to mind the whole like the the longstanding can you separate the art from the artist argument, right? And uh, right. it's like <laughs> if you want to give someone a a brain fuck of of that, uh, <laughs> show them Vince Desi, creator of Postal, uh, but also the creator of like elmo's you know abcs or something to that effect like, right <laughs> you, you will not be able to make any sense so yeah so po postal the game itself of course you know i guess for the uh, our, our audience i guess would tend to skew a little young so uh you know the first game su surprised me by yeah it almost looks like a flash game of sorts you might play on like stickpeople.com or something to the, these days where you know it's top down you're you know moving in in uh, simple directions, just shooting at other, you know, human kind of sprites uh, at the other end of the map. And it's like this one long corridor uh, from like one side of the trailer park to like through a, a cave network and like through a city and makes no like actual geographic sense. But uh, yeah, you it, eventually it, wind up in like an army base, but then like also you get into stuff that definitely has this 90s sense of like, racism where like one of the levels is called the ghetto and things like that yeah. and you're just like oh, okay <laughs> and you know I, I i was curious to know uh so the, the game itself having come out in the 90s uh is very much even for how far it went compared to a lot of other things it is still somewhat a product of its time uh and in a sense i think it's fair to say that the the public pressure against postal was what really helped clinch its popularity it became like Doom or Wolfenstein or other, you know, violent games uh, before it really became uh, the, the cool poster child for like, this is the edgy thing your parents don't want you to, to talk about or play. Uh, right. But now, 20 plus years later, it, it really seems like even though Vince Desi and the other creator whose name escapes me, I, I should have written it down, even though they're like, they're still holding to their guns as far as, uh, yeah, we, we don't really give a shit what anyone else thinks. It good, seems good like age there. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I didn't even, did I make a pun? I didn't even catch it. Holding to their guns. Holding to their guns. Uh, it, seems, it seems like age has definitely mellowed them out in a way, even though like Desi especially is still prone to, like you say in the book, uh, uh, start most sentences with someone's ethnicity. What do you what do you make of the way age has really changed uh, the people who created Postal? Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, there's a large age difference between them, uh, and uh, Vince is the creator of the original. Uh, and mm -hmm. starting with two, he brought in a guy that was actually one of his son's friends uh, who was taking like a computer class with him, uh, and just really mm -hmm. loved Postal One. And now they uh, work together in collaboration. Um, there, there is something about age that I, I think has done well and has also hurt them, and that is that, you know, you can, there's a lot about Vince that I think, uh, there's a lot about both of them that I think trends towards the Trumpier side of the spectrum, but they, they would also be the same people to say fuck Trump, because uh, they're like, I, some of these ideas are good, but like, what an what an asshole and what a cartoon and like I think that what both of them enjoy more than anything else is probably just the cartoonishness of the world because uh, Postal Four uh, out of nowhere is uh, currently uh, in 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 pre review sort of stuff on Steam you can you can try a few levels of that right now uh, and it it really leans into what Postal Two does which uh, 
and we covered it a little bit earlier, but post to one is this game. It's a top down shooter. It doesn't look very good. And, and it ends with a, a level where you literally shoot up uh, a grade school. And that came out uh, a couple of months before Columbine happened. So that's one of those things like Marilyn Manson and stuff that always gets blamed for it. And even 20 years later, they still get called in to do TV shows to talk about just, just that. Um, but Postal 2 uh, has dialogue and it has a story. And in Postal 2, most of what happens involves you as the main character uh, just having to deal with the frustrations of daily life. Uh, li- literally, the first mission of the game is you just going to the grocery store from your trailer park, uh, and your only mission is to buy milk. And you can't get through the line or buy milk without uh, just a giant shooting rampage breaking out amongst all the fucking awful people that are around. And that's sort of like every level of the game. The next day, you're trying to return a library book and, like, Feminist protesters are trying to burn it down and shoot you with machine guns. And it is, I, I think that their perspective on the world is one very much that they they see as everything around us as being so fucking stupid all of the time. I don't know if they see themselves as being smarter than that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that they probably don't. But uh, first and foremost, out of everything, and, and I, I, I suppose it backtracks into... The idea of going postal, uh, as in so in so far as much as there is any sort of storyline, there is just that like we're all on the verge of breaking with good reason because everything seems terrible and everyone around you seems to get a little worse every day. And I th- I think that that is a sentiment that we can see not only in the real world but in so much media just handled in a different way. Like it is it is word for word some of the things that are are said by Joaquin Phoenix in the movie Joker, which made me sort of chuckle about because I was like, <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie and Postal probably share share a lot of ideas, I think. <laughs> that or uh, you mentioned Standing Tall, uh, which looking back on it has a lot of similar white middle-class suburban uh, simmering rage kind of building beneath it that, you know, we look at it today kind of seems very interconnected to Trumpian politics. Uh, yeah, and, falling down yeah. and the... Uh, or sorry, just fa- want... falling down. Why am I thinking Yeah, the idea that tall? you're not going to get your, your breakfast sandwich at McDonald's because it's two minutes exactly. past when they stop serving it and so you pull out a shotgun. Like, it is, it is very that. And so it was also the right time for us to tackle, like, a... Nathan and I have, have tried to fight our, our histories and our choices and, and develop as, as human beings as best we can in the last decade. And to write about toxic masculinity and what it does, is especially to men that don't see a path forward or men that have this perspective on the world, it felt important to be like, we can talk about it within the perspective of this movie and this game in such a way that you can be like, even I think the most like, brain poisoned asshole can probably look at this and be like well that seems worse and i don't want to be that at least like let's we we can do this incrementally i think and i i think there's this this really poignant part of the book that uh tries to elaborate on on the kind of chicken and egg scenario that you're you're illustrating already here uh you know what what truly beget what uh the the you nailed on the head by illustrating that even something trashy like postal yeah, does reflect back on us uh, and our culture in a really meaningful way, uh, even if we don't necessarily like what we see. Uh, and so I, it, it gave me a, a reason to think back on, of course, all the, the 90s uh, violent video game rhetoric and, and everything we've seen in the 20 years you know, since the 90s. What did, what did it feel like for you personally, like writing those kinds of passages and starting to kind of, it seems, come to your own conclusion that, uh, uh, we ch- we may not really know what beget what uh, when it comes to you know did postal cause people to you know in- endorse violence or did uh, just the violent culture that we already uh, live in every day here in America uh, is that you know is that truly what inspired postal? There, so I've spent a lot of my career. Uh, working with this question uh, on and off. And I've, I've interviewed, uh, one of my favorite interviews of all time uh, was with an Australian ethicist uh, who wrote a big paper on how, okay, we think that studies show that uh, violent video games don't cause violence, 
But with that in mind, uh, the U.S. government uh, keeps spending uh, exponentially more money every single year on creating games that uh, not only recruit people, but are internal games that teach people how to do these military operations. And it's like, so if you can't learn violence from a game, then why are we using it as a learning tool to teach the army? Like there's, there's some connections there that you're like, you, you can't have both. You have to figure something out mm-hmm. about that. And there is a, uh, there is a line that I've lifted from uh, somebody that's quoted uh, in, in the book, uh, killing is harmless, a critical reading of spec ops, the line. Uh, one of the uh, developers on it uh, was speaking at a conference and uh, his basic take on it was uh so I do not believe that video games make people violent. What I do believe is that violent entertainment sort of normalizes the concept of violence. And I think that that is the stance that I take now is that um, I, certain younger viewers, uh, listeners to the show might not have had this experience in the same way that some of us did. But uh, when, when the first couple of GTAs came out, like three onward, uh, if you were the sort of person that did like all night plays, especially if like you were in college and just as soon as you were out of class until like class the next morning, you were playing games. I experienced a thing where I would see cars in the real world. And my first thought was I can just open the door and get into that car and drive away with it. Like right. I didn't, I didn't think I could beat anybody up and take their money, but the ease with which I should access and make a car or any sort of vehicle my own just became this, it, it was a first level thing. And my second level thing had to be like, well, hey, that's not that's not how any of this works. That's not real. Where, <laughs> where's this new set of influences coming from? And it's like, if you, just like the uh, the, the first night that uh, GoldenEye 007 came out on N64, my friends stayed up all night playing it. And for like a week, every time I closed my eyes, I could still see the multiplayer game screen and could still hear the songs playing. And I was like, okay, you can embed yourself enough in anything that it starts to be in your brainwaves. And I, I think that we see so much of that in in so much of what is happening with stuff on like 8chan and some of the darker corners of the internet and for fuck's sake, anything having to do with QAnon, uh, where if you, <laughs> if you live in something enough, uh, it will become your reality and there's no reason for you to leave, especially now that we live in a time uh, where everyone is so disconnected, uh, not, not just in what their perceptions of reality are, but just physically uh, and, and emotionally, and, and, and the internet is a place to find that and make those, those connections. Uh, there is a guy who has a game out now called uh, uh, The Church in the Darkness, which is an incredible, I, really I fun game. Him, that yeah. He, no, yeah, oh, uh, he's awesome. Cool uh, and, and his whole game is about uh, sort of like a, it's a cult of Jonestown sort of thing in the jungle in like the 70s. Uh, and it's really interesting because there's a lot of time that you spend like not, not being sure, like, you're, you're there to basically extract like your sister. Uh, but like, depending on what playthrough you're on or, or what's been randomized or something, you spend a lot of time wondering, am I the asshole? Uh, which would be mm-hmm. a great Reddit post. Uh, you know, save my sister from a cult. Am I the asshole for this? Um, but Just 60 million uh, with, comments being like, yo, bro, you the asshole. I can't believe you. <laughs> the greatest threat in history locked after 60,000. Um but uh, when when we talk in interviews, uh, one of the things that comes up is that uh, for both of us, because we uh, live in the cult world, uh, the question is like uh, that we get asked a lot is why are people turning to cults right now at such a strange rate? And the thing that we've sort of hit on is uh, the sense of community, because uh, especially like no one's happier in the era of social media. No one feels better uh, mm-hmm. about anything. But if you could move to a place where you live with 30 to 50 people who you see every day and who all love you and provide you with support, uh, it is very easy to stop asking questions of, hey, what are we doing right now? Uh, as, especially if people are telling you that what you're doing is good and helping the world, like you can sort of just put that out of mind and you now have, have all these friends and you live in something. And then when you go back and see like your family or something and everyone's just around at Christmas and living in their cell phone and not talking, it, it must look like you're, you're doing a lot better. And, and sometimes I wonder too, like, is that better? And again, 
am I the asshole for breaking stuff up, except in cases where, like, wild abuse is occurring? Uh, so, yeah, it, it, everything about these ideologies and the same thing, and it, it, it transcends into, into violence and entertainment and video games in a way that I cannot and refuse to believe that a violent video game causes violence, but I can believe that it can rewire things that make you approach concepts in a different way. <laughs> Do you think that uh, that since Postal 1 came out in the 90s, that because the internet was still very much in its infancy, uh, and then now as we've had Postal 2 and 3 in the, like, what, mid-2000s, uh, do you think that like a game like Postal One could really uh, come out today and make any sort of real impact, or do you think it would kind of fall by the wayside? Because we we did have Hatred uh, maybe a couple yes. of years ago, which was for those who don't know a similar uh, you know think of think a 2015 ish top down Postal One style game where you are a trench coat dude just running around town shooting every civilian, every cop, and uh, really. The developers there too really seem to relish in the like, hey, we we love the attention we're getting because we're we're being edgy. So yeah, do you think do you think that the, what how how would the internet kind of change things if uh, if postal were made today? Well, I, I think you're right in your initial assessment that postal one coming out uh, even then uh, sort of looks like something that you would have found like a, it, it looks a little better than a new a, a new grounds game from the time. Yeah, like it's yep. It's, it's got a little more than that. And they actually, uh, they did a remastered version a few years ago that plays a lot better. The the, the original Postal 1 is is just not fun. It's just not a fun game. It's a slog <laughs> to get through. Uh, but part of it was like the limitations of their system. So there are certain levels where like there's like 30 enemies, but they're spread out all over the place. And like you trying to find them is harder than even engaging in battle. And they're all bullet sponges. So the remastered version plays a lot better looks a lot better uh has like quadruple the number of enemies but it's somehow easier uh and like i find it to be a pretty fun game uh i do not think that post one being released today would would cause anyone to have anything to think about it because there are a already so many things that we can write about that are so many games especially like now that we're at the point that like Let's talk about all the games on Steam or that are not allowed on Steam and are, are elsewhere that like once a month or so, I feel like I, there's a Kotaku article out about something where like, holy shit, like I know there's bad stuff out there, but look at this one that's just, it's all mm -hmm. like child pornography and like torture porn and stuff. And you're just like, yep, but that's like kind of our standard now and we're, we're, we're there for that. And I think that that also speaks to why like uh the incoming postal four leaning into just being as stupid and funny as possible probably makes for a much better and more interesting game but you've also already answered your own question here which was that like hatred came out and hatred was polish developers i believe re yeah, really making yeah. remaking postal for themselves uh and trying to go above and beyond so there's like a lot more women and children around and like uh there is uh, a button that you can press where if, if somebody's crawling on the ground and they're not dead yet, you can put your gun in your mouth and say like terrible things at them and then execute them and pulling off those sort of terrible executions on already like bleeding out women uh, is actually what restores your health bar, uh, which is this uh, such a bizarre like pairing of terribleness to function within a game engine that like it has this extra level of positive reinforcement for the gamer that I when I saw that I was like well that's just that's just terrible so I I did play that game for this book uh, and I had a chapter about it to answer this question about like what what would a modern postal be like and at some point I just scrapped the whole thing because also uh, I, I believe it came out that the developers of that game are actual Nazis Oh boy. Well, <laughs> yeah. And like that came out very quickly after the game. And I was like, I, I, I need to figure out how to get a refund fast. Cause that can't show up in my library anymore. I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't explain away uh, these four copies of Mein Kampf on, on my living room table as research for my book. <laughs> like it's just too much. <laughs> 
you know, uh, before we, since we only have a little bit more time left, I do want to briefly touch on this, as you implied earlier, was uh, Nathan's part of the book, the um, the section focusing on Uwe Boll and his uh, postal movie. Um, Uwe Boll, for the like three of you who don't know, you know, of course, the, the, the a lot of people will call him the world's worst filmmaker, uh, the adapter of such classics as Alone in the Dark, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Alone in the Dark. He made Rampage, not the not the uh, uh, the Rock Rampage, but the uh, similarly postal-ish Rampage movie uh, about a mass dead. murderer. House of the Dead. Uh, Blood if, Rain. If, one if you're two, not I think. Uh, familiar with Bull's work, uh, uh, search his name uh, with something awful, uh, because yeah. uh, there is uh, the introduction of of most of us to him was this piece that's written by two guys that were hired to write his script for Alone in the Dark. And it just details a descent into madness working with a guy that cannot make movies, the notes that he would give to them, and like just what an insanely awful human being he is. He also at one point uh, challenged his five best internet critics to a boxing match online. Uh, not telling anyone that he was a professional boxer. So like (laughs) uh, what are the head guys from something awful like – got TKO'd in like the first minute. Uh, like, yeah, he just, he, he's the sort of guy that wants to beat up people that are mean to him on the internet. He's the end of Jay and silent Bob strike back. It's just wild. <laughs> So Nathan's uh, interview with him is really fascinating because it does begin to peel back a layer of uh, these two seemingly disparate things. Here's a bad 90s video game, and here's a bad movie director who is really just kind of like exploiting uh, like European film uh, tax laws to like get funding for his terrible movies. And uh, but through the course of the interview, you really get the sense that like, Postal, like maybe not all of Bull's movies, but some of them really are like him genuinely trying to process something about the world or himself that uh, is actually meaningful in some way, even though he, of course, does not uh, nail those landings whatsoever. What what did you make of Bull's comments? And what, what does the fact that Bull's kind of uh, hype point died after... Uh, postal really say about him as a director uh well i mean bull continues onward i'm actually looking at uh, a gift that nathan sent me that's uh, in my basement because it's impossible to share anywhere else uh bull has a series of movies called rampage that are basically just postal like bull makes a lot of movies that are just about a, a guy shooting somebody for no reason and like that's it like he it is how his brain thinks and that's that's what he does uh, but he he is still furious that the Rampage movie got made last year with The Rock and the the large monsters, which is of course based on a video game from the early '80s. Uh, mm-hmm. But he still thinks it's copyright infringement. So he sent us um, a box of toys uh, from the movie that you'd find at like Walmart, like it's one of the figures with a gun and he's fighting one of the monsters, and with a, a black sharpie. He's crossed out almost everything on the box and written in things like, uh, sorry, sorry in advance, fucking retarded bullshit, uh, watch my Rampage movie, pay me you phony fucks, and has like scrawled out the eyes like a serial killer would on all of the creatures and stuff. And it's not just the front of the box. It's the tops and the sides and the back. And it's, it, it is something that you're like... and. And Bull also is on Twitter where he constantly says nice things about my cats, which is such a confusing back and forth where I'm like, you know that we've got this coming out. And I believe you to be a, a, a legitimately dangerous human being. But also, you love my cats. So, like, I, I don't know it where that falls, falls on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, Bull is – Bull uh, and the folks from Running With Scissors – uh, I th- I think the thing that we don't even really uh, cross over on in the book, but I, I think that is shared, is that um, they are truly blue-collar workers in a creative field uh, that are trying to do a job that should be a job for creative people. Uh, and so they, they, they lack what should be there, but what they retain is this sort of workmanship. So like the guys that are running with scissors, 
can keep making video games. I I fully believe that they depend on on other people to help come with, up with the jokes, but also like they're they're very funny in the way that they are for the audience that they are working for. UV Bowl has no sense of humor, no idea how to shoot a scene, no idea of how to, <laughs> how to make a horror film work any different than anything else, or even why he's making them. But he keeps making them and he keeps making money. Uh, and and there is there is some comparison between the two there that like you don't often see this and you don't often see those people that are that kind of person elevated into some sort of uh, cultural or or cult touchstone status because normally like the the guys from Asylum that just keep making movies unless it's one of the movies that's like uh, Velasa Pastor or or Sharknado or something that everyone's like that's actually really funny I'm do this. There's a hundred other movies they make every year that like, yeah, it goes to the sci-fi channel. Everyone gets a paycheck. No one gives a shit. Uh, and, and, and these guys sort of fall into that category, but, but just struck at the right time or, or hit the right nerve to make a career out of it. And, and it is fascinating to see what they do with it over a period of decades and, and whether or not it changes any part of them. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, last point, I think the... Postal itself and like Bull's frustrations. Bull seems like the kind of guy, like a lot of creatives I know and, and myself even in a sense, he hates that he has to work within the system that is Hollywood. Uh, but he also sort of relishes how it lets him get away with a lot. Um, and to, to me, like games media and, and like this job that I've had for five years is really kind of the only thing I think I'm actually good at anymore. Um, uh, some, some minor asides there that I can dabble in, but like, this is, this is it, you know, this is do or die. Uh, and I, I felt a sense of sympathy for bull in the, in the fact that like he, I'm sure at some point he just doesn't know, uh, uh, how, how to move on from this field where he's constantly ridiculed and, uh, and producing a lot of, uh, way, way below, uh, Mark kind of tripe. So I don't know. It, it spoke to me that, um, that's something that a lot of creatives deal with. And even though his world is vastly different than mine and, uh, his work is, of a different universe than mine. Uh, I, I felt that. I, I don't know what you thought. I, so as somebody that also feels like, uh, uh, despite the, uh, the, the list of credits of my career that you read off at the start of this, they all, they also share a basic, uh, sort of skill set, And, and I too, especially at like 35, I'm terrified of, of what happens if that falls apart. Every time, uh, you know, Every time one of our fellow online video game resources goes under and the trolls are in the comments telling all the authors, learn to code. And I'm just like, fucking, I hate, I hate that. I hate it so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I guess the thing is that, uh, yeah, a Bull and the Running With Scissors guys, they want to op operate outside of these systems. And, and in many ways they do. Uh, and then they are frustrated by the systems. And, and in all cases, I think that they have hit that roadblock enough times that, that it doesn't matter anymore. And they seem to be having fun. Like Bull did a thing uh, a year or two ago where he like put up a Kickstarter for the fourth Rampage movie he was making, I'm pretty sure. And it didn't make its goal. So he had all these series of videos about how Bull is done making movies forever. Fuck you. You did not support me. <laughs> like, you, we're done. <laughs> And then he's in production on three new ones. And you're like, so wait, uh, so uh, they're all very good, once again, in this very Trumpian sense of like, they can always find a way to make spectacle. And I think that for the most part, all the jokes are at our expense. Uh, and so like, I, I, I was in a band in the mid 2000s where I wrote a song about how much I hated Bull uh, for, for absolutely no one, like who knew who he even was. And I'd play it in sh shows and concerts and people like, I don't know what that is. And now that I, now that I see the, you know, the wizard of Oz workings behind the scenes, I'm like, Oh, this was trolling before I understood what trolling is. He just wants me to, to feel something <laughs> about him. And if I have, then he's, he's one and he can make me feel something completely different in a couple of months. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, folks, the book is Postal. That is out on April 7th uh, via Boss Fight Books. Uh, if you Google that, you will definitely find it. Brock, where can people find you and your other work? Uh, you can also find the book on Amazon uh, through yes. Boss Fight and Amazon and elsewhere. You can get it in ebook PDF forms for, for, for real cheap. Uh, you can get uh, the uh, paperbacks uh, on the cheap. You can find other books in the series. I would especially recommend my friend Alex Kane's book on uh, – Star Wars, uh, Old Empire, like, uh, it's, it's so good and just brims with hope and joy and, uh, and love for that game. Uh, I am on, uh, all social media networks at Brock Wilbur. Uh, my work is, uh, currently at thepitchkc.com. Um, yeah, stop by, say hi, give me some feedback. Let me know if you guys enjoy the book. Uh, I've, I've, you're one of maybe like eight people at this point that's read it. So you, you being like, oh, there's an interesting question raised, uh, is giving me some little heart flutters right now. It's like, oh, good, Aww. maybe, I, maybe <laughs> I did okay. <laughs> It's a it's a damn good book and it, it, I it's funny I was also similarly reading a John Scalzi novel and I was like this reads a lot like a John Scalzi novel very fast very uh, uh, snappy and very humorous uh, and I feel like even though it wasn't necessarily like the 400 page tome that was the uh, the NBA Jam history book by Rayan Ali from Boss Fight. Uh, I, I similarly learned something about the world and about myself. So uh, yeah, Brock, would, uh, would thank you, you please s- send me the, that, that, that quote thing that yeah. you just said? I, I want to put it on the book if we possibly can. Oh my God. Thank you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'll absolutely do that. Any chance. Thank you for having me on. I love the show and I'm so sorry that you guys have had to have a break. Uh, please, uh, please keep listening to this show and, uh, and thank you for all the great work you do. Thank you, man. And yeah, folks, you can find a new episode of the 1099 every week here. Uh, well, hopefully every week here on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and all the other usual places you get your podcasts. we got a couple of cool guests coming up. Uh, Chris Wrights, who is one of the founders of Ludo Naricon, and Michael Chu, the for- now former lead writer on Overwatch, to talk about his 20 years at Blizzard. So, folks, we will see you next time. <laughs>